Uh, good morning, everybody, and happy Father's Day to you out there. I hope your day is filled with some appreciation and joy, but uh, I know many of you just would settle for a good nap and some charred meat, so hopefully you get that today. I know I look forward to that. Uh, hey, just to start out today, I wanted to just highlight uh, something that happened this past Sunday. We had a family swim party last Sunday at Wells Community Church. It's had such a great time with our families. Just want to appreciate all of our people who, make, who helped make that possible. Uh, our Kids Town Ministry serves to be a, a huge catalyst in that. So uh, we value any time that we get to get together as a family. Uh, we're so thankful for all of you who came out. This is one of our key values as a church, loving our neighbors and doing things like this show that value. So uh, thank you again. Okay, so let's turn our attention towards Habakkuk today. We're in week three of Habakkuk, which sounds a lot like a sneeze. Habakkuk. Uh, so our leadership loves this book because I, I think that it just speaks well to some really basic principles of our faith uh, because it's just a guy talking to God, asking some really good questions, and in doing so, he's revealing some key practices in developing a healthy and personal relationship with God, as well as reminding us or pointing us towards some really good attributes of our Father. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of hammered home this idea of being open and honest in our relationship with God, uh, one that isn't afraid to expose our hearts to our anguishes, our concerns, our desires, our questions, uh, mainly because we have come to the understanding our God's big enough to handle those things. And in doing those things, exposing our hearts and exposing our sin, uh, we allow ourselves to let the Spirit help us move towards, through those things to allow Him to bring healing and wisdom into those areas in our lives. And we said that we didn't want to miss some simple truths that were just present here within this text in Habakkuk, that we didn't want to just read past the thought that Habakkuk uh, prays to God and that God responds, that, that this is just a rhythm that we see within the pages of our scripture in our family, in our ancestors, where God just is consistently responding to his people, not always in the manner that they would see fit or the way that they would hope, but definitely in a way that rings true to who God is. And then last week, I contended to you that, uh, that God just, he does say yes to our prayers far more than we realize, and there are a few reasons that we're un unaware of our God responding to yes, and, and one of those reasons was that we are quick to ascribe praise to ourselves or give credit to others instead of God, that there are common graces, we talked about common graces that God has poured out on humanity because of his goodness, common graces like pacemakers, uh, MRIs, doctors, medicine, people's skill sets and knowledges, knowledge that God uses as tools. We don't acknowledge that God uses those common graces as tools, and he uses them as tools to bring about his plan in people's lives and to bring blessing and, and even to answer prayers. Uh, the other thing that I contended to you is that we just don't write down the desires of our hearts and the words that we speak to God in the area of prayers to really ever be aware fully of how God is responding to those things. And so today, we want to continue into that journey of understanding a God who responds, who hears us and responds. We didn't get through everything last week, uh, so we're going to walk into a little bit of a deeper reality of when God says no. When God says no. And then what we want to do is pull out another kind of simple truth in this area in Habakkuk of a God who hears us in response. So, uh, I believe it be, to be truthful, and I know many of you believe it to be truthful, that God hears us and responds, but not always with a yes. And so why does he say no? 
This is a, that's a question that maybe you've asked in your life before. When we read the story of Scripture, when we read the breadth of our Scripture, we can kind of pinpoint at least two different realities in which God would respond to us with a no. The first of those realities is this. He says no, or he says stay silent, that communicates no, because it's simply just not a part of his will for your life. He says no or stay silent because it's not the will that he has for your life. And so God leaves these things unanswered, says no because it's not what he would have for you. God has designed us to live as his children, trusting in him. And in that design, he has desired for us to bring honor and renown back to him. And so if you are a son and daughter of Christ, a lover of Christ, he has designed this that you would bring glory back to him, prominence back to him, honor back to him, it is not to create for you a certain type of lifestyle. That's just not what God's design is for you. There is nothing that is owed to you. There's nothing that is owed to you. Instead, all that we have and all that we are is owed to him. And so within that context of design, there are things that God does not say yes to. There are things that he simply doesn't interact with because they're not a part of his will for your life. And so looking back on our lives, Look, we can be disappointed, absolutely, that the prayers that we asked for weren't answered with a yes or God didn't intervene in those things. And the reality is, is there have been some really tragic and extremely painful things that we wanted God to say yes to, but he didn't. But there also is a reality that exists is that God wants to use them to bring people back to him as difficult as they are for us to bear. But there are many times that God says no, that when we look back in our lives, that we say, hey, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. I mean, could you imagine a reality of a God that answered all your high school prayers? I mean, we'd all just be messed up. Like, my prayers as a juvenile revolved around, like, Lord, if you just make that girl like me, uh, I would just follow whatever it was that you said for me in that life. I would be a mess, and I'm so glad that God said, hey, no, because I got a pretty sweet setup right now because, hey, that's not what I have for you. I've got something better in mind for you. And so the first reality of a God that says no is understanding that God says no or stay silent sometimes because it's not what he has for you in your life. The second thing I would contend for you in the reality of a God that says no is simply to understand that God rewards obedience and not rebellion that God rewards obedience and not rebellion. And this is present inside this chapter in Habakkuk. It's present because the Israelites, the Jewish people in the southern kingdom are just unfaithful and rebellious, and God is not rewarding that here. And so I, let me tell you, let me show you what I'm talking about in this area of obedience and rewards. And look, I think it's important to you that you might consider all that I have to say here and not just listen to certain points because it's very delicate and I don't want you to leave here with some poor theology or thoughts about God in this area of obedience and rewards. So in Matthew, Jesus is uh, he's going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in the midst of those things, he talks about rewards. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is just basically God's instructions for believers here on earth. And Jesus walks into this area about asking here in Matthew 7. And so we'll read that together. Uh, we'll put it on the screen. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so Jesus is exemplifying this idea of asking with persistence into an idea that we're familiar with. He highlights the role of a father to his children that even fathers on earth give good gifts to their kids and they're flawed. So you have good fathers on earth who are corrupted by sin who still practice this kind of behavior. Now imagine what a father, a good and loving father, one that is not corrupted by sin like our father in heaven is, imagine what he would give to his children if we ask. And so Jesus is saying, ask me. In fact, he says knock, which means persistent. So ask me and keep asking me and I will give you your heart's desires. But as any good father knows, and I know that we have a lot of good fathers in this room, your love for your children is absolutely unconditional. Why? Because they're yours. God has given you them. That's simply it. You love them because of that. But your desire to give good gifts and good blessing on them is very much conditional. And what is it conditional on? It's conditional upon your obedience, their obedience to you. And this is what Jesus is going to walk us through later in John 15 when he says this. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now the word abide means to dwell in or remain in. And so Jesus is saying, hey, dwell with me and let my word remain in your heart and I will give you your heart's desires. Paul goes on through the inspiration of the Spirit to speak in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Beloved, if our, hearts do, does not, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we have kept His commandments and do what pleases Him. So whatever we ask, we, we receive from Him because we have kept His commandments and do what pleases Him. I mean, that's a pretty literal verse. There's not much to interpret there. But here's the thing, God does not command us and call us into obedience because he's a strict father. He desires us to walk in obedience, to shepherd us towards a life that is the most flourishing inside of his design. It is actually because he loves us. I mean, we all could agree, we all could agree that a loving father does not reward waywardness. We could agree that loving parents do not reward rebellion. We don't accept that type of behavior in our kids because why? Because we want the best things for them. It's because we love them. And it's not a surprise to me that we're like talking about this on Father's Day. I didn't plan to talk about good fathers on Father's Day. Uh, The reality though for many of us in this room is that we didn't grow up with a father who was present or who was lacking in substantial ways. And I am deeply, Sorry, because I know that that has affected you in life. And I pray that God has revealed to you a way in which he wants to use that to bring glory and honor to his name. But here's a reality that I want you to hear. We should never underestimate the role of a good father in our lives, as imperfect as he may be. We should never underestimate the role of a father who is trying to move us towards our best and giving us love, as flawed as he sometimes may lay those things out. It is a gift from God, and it is a blessing. Fewer and fewer fewer people today get that gift. 
And so if that is you, cherish that. That is a blessing from the Lord. Not to underplay like the roles that moms play in our lives, but look, you got your day already, all right? So you, let's not be selfish in this, all right? We're talking about dads today. There is nothing that Scripture says can replace the role of a father in our lives. So like my little girl, Camille, let's just talk about Camille. Like I just, I love her more than I, at 20 years old, I had no idea I could love something this much. Uh, but hear me out, I, I don't, I don't reward her when she doesn't listen and obey me. I, I am not going to condone that kind of behavior. One of the things that my wife and I have constantly had to talk to our little girl about is not going to mommy's makeup drawer and using it. It seems like every time we are doing something in the house it, for a stage in our lives, Camille would just grab a torch to the bathroom to mama's makeup drawer. It was like a, like a tractor beam just sucked her right in. And so much so that we began to chronicle these things, chronicle these things in pictures. And so I brought a few. This is just her. We catch her in various states of application. She just, it didn't matter. She these makeups. She's cute, I know. Uh, it's very, very cute. Uh, we are consistently, or we're consisting telling Camille, like, look, you got to stop putting mama's makeup on, all right? You're going to have consequences if, if you do that. You're, you're not going to get the things that you want if you can do She knows it's a bad choice, but obviously her two-year-old brain does not let it sink in because not too long after this picture, Nikki walked into the bathroom and recorded this. What did you do? I did it on my face. Yes, what is that on your face? Makeup. Mm-hmm. How do you think you look? <laughs> Where else did you put the makeup? On my leg. Uh-huh. Where else? Right, right here. Oh, okay. Where else? Maybe on the mirror a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And this it. So obviously she's pretty adorable. I think so. Um, and it's hard not to laugh at that in the moment, but at the end of the day, like, look, it's not about the makeup, and you guys know it's not about the makeup. It's about her finding a pattern, a, a rhythm where she listens and obeys mama and daddy, not because, like, we're cruel, and not because we want control, but because we want what's best for her in her life. And look, I am delighted to give good gifts and blessings to my daughter when she listens to me, but I withhold that blessings at times when she doesn't listen and obey me because I don't want to reward that behavior. I don't want to condone it. Now, with that said, do I love my daughter in her disobedience? Oh, absolutely. Love her. Uh, she's, she's mine. God has given to me. That's all I need. I love her unconditionally. I will never take my love away from her because of that. I won't stop loving her. And do you know what the crazy thing is about the complexity of not approving of her behavior and withholding blessings and the reality of an unconditional love and grace for her is it actually propels her towards me and not away from me. It actually brings her into greater obedience to my word and to my wife as well. And so you have to understand that God has commanded us that we would love his son, that we would love Jesus, that we would love one another, and that we would live in a way that speaks to what he has designed for us. 
He has commanded us to live in a certain way. And so please understand that if we are not moving away from things like unforgiveness, if we are not moving away from anger, if we're not moving away from resentment and jealousy, if we're not moving away from pride and manipulation, if we're not moving away, you insert any sin into that category. If we are not moving away from those things, you should not expect a lot of yeses from the Lord. You should not expect a lot of yeses from the Lord. God does not reward rebellion. He rewards obedience. But listen, I don't want you to mistake obedience for perfection. All right? Obedience is about pursuit. This is not about having a perfect obedience. This is about pursuing a perfect obedience to a loving father who withholds gifts when he needs to, but never withholds his love for his children and his grace. That you walk closer to Jesus, knowing that as you expose your hearts and expose your sin, that he still fully delights in you and fully knows you in that moment. And he is still showering you with his love and his grace. And that propels you towards a lifestyle of obedience to him, much like it does with my little girl, Camille. She knows me to be a good father, surprisingly as that is. And that is what we have in Jesus. We have a good father who enables us to walk towards him in obedience. Now listen, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he teaches his disciples how to pray like this, and he teaches us, he says, says this in his prayer, Father, forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. And so Jesus is, is a, he's saying, look, you're going to fall short here, right? It's not about you being per- perfect. It's about you pursuing. And, and we've said this on this stage before with love in our hearts. Like, look, if there is not a desire in your heart to pursue an obedience to the Father, if there's not an inkling of desire to submit your life to his will and his way, then you need to ask yourself some serious questions about your heart. Namely, who is the Lord of it? You have to ask yourself some serious questions about that. Now, when we talk about this area of obedience and rewards, I don't want you to assume certain things. Don't confuse obedience for a gravy train of blessing. Like God rewards obedience, but it doesn't often come through Mercedes and Benjamins. Obedience is about conforming yourself to a good father who wants the best for his creation in the design that he's laid out. Obedience is not some sort of math equation that gets you what you want. It's not a belief that if I do this and I do this, then God's going to give me that. Or if I do that and this and this, then God gives me this. That's the kind of stuff televangelists sell to make money. They just plant a seed, a financial, of ten this, and God's going to bring it back tenfold. You're going to have a tenfold blessing on it. Just two thoughts in that. A, it's stupid, and it's ridiculous, and it's a perversion of God's word. It is a lie. They are twisting the text to bring themselves into that reality, and God's judgment awaits them. I have no problem saying that. Two, or B, I don't know what I said in the first time. There's just no reality that exists in which you and I, created beings, broken vessels, could ever put a perfect creator, our God, into our debt. 
There's just no reality that exists. I've said this. He has given us everything. There's nothing that he owes us. He, all that we are and all that we have is owed to him. We owe him everything. Christ is our motivation, a theology that elevates good gifts or rewards above a good father is misplaced. Our obedience starts with pleasing him. And the second thing that I want to bring into this talk conversation is that I don't want you to think because of God's love and God's grace and because it's so scandalous and so outrageous that you could just put obedience on the back burner. Because God loves me, God gives me grace. So just put my obedience to him on uh, uh, the back burner. Let's just... Let's just be honest here. When is it ever a good idea to play games with our God? You're playing with fire, your friend. When is it ever a good idea to play games with our God? Like he absolutely loves you and cares for you, but he could crush us in a moment. Obedience is about walking towards him, and he has given us all the tools to do it. His grace and his mercy and his love propel us towards those things. And so your pursuit of obedience should not mirror your pursuit of your next favorite restaurant in town. It should mirror a pursuit of a lost child that we would just send out Amber Alerts in our hearts saying, I'm struggling with this. I need some help here. That we would pursue after him in an urgency to seek after his will and his heart and his grace and his love and his mercy for our lives. So there are two realities of a God that responds no to us. It's plainly just not his will for your life. That's the first reality. And the second is he, he doesn't reward rebellion. He rewards obedience. Now, next week, Chad is going to drill down this issue of obedience into a couple questions that Habakkuk lays out here before God. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but as we continue, I, I want to bring out another simple and profound text that we find in Habakkuk in this area of a God who hears us and responds. And so we're going to jump back into our text now, into Habakkuk, starting in verse 12. Habakkuk is responding to God after he had responded, if you remember last week, to say that, hey, I'm going to use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and I'm going to destroy the kingdom of Judah because of their unfaithfulness and their rebellion. And so we'll pick it up in verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them as reproof. You who are pure, you of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up, when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his nets. He gathers them in his dragnets, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnets, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And so the heart of the response that Habakkuk has to God is centered on the question of wondering why God would use a wicked nation like the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to run over or punish a lesser wicked nation, namely the Israelites in the southern kingdom of Judah. That's his central question. Now, when we read these laments 
these burdens that Habakkuk has, there is a rhythm within his language that is being exchanged between himself and God that communicates an understanding of positioning. Because the reality of God who hears us and responds, whether that is yes or no, it has to come with the knowledge of a God who is supreme in authority and resources, and we are not. Think about this, just to exemplify this area of positioning. When you have a disagreement with your wife or your husband, whether that is simple or robust in nature, do you argue with them in the same way that you argue with your child? Of course not. You don't argue in the same way. When you talk to your wife, when you discuss with your wife, you discuss with them as equals. You're partners in that relationship. You don't give your child that similar position. Camille doesn't get that ability in our relationship because she is under my authority. And look, if you grew up in a home where your parents were engaged, like you knew this reality. Because if you took that tone and you knew what tone I'm talking about, you know there was trouble. Like, and when I, ex when I grew up, there was no thing called the naughty spot, right? You just knew if you took that tone, things were in trouble. That's a positioning thing. That is a positioning thing. So understand that it's okay to hurt. It's okay to be bothered. It's okay to ask questions to the Lord. He's big enough. But you have to understand your position in all of it. But listen, the rub with that comes here. The rub with understanding our positioning comes here. We as mankind, we just love ourselves. We think we're awesome. We just love to celebrate ourselves. And you need not look any further than like the sporting arena to see this in an example. Like if you watch a sporting event for any period of time, you will hear an announcer or an analyst or coach or manager say, hey, this young kid coming up, he's got unlimited potential. Just untapped potential. The sky's the limit. We've got foolish adults going around to like eight-year-old baseball players in leagues saying, hey, this kid's got division one talent. Really? Because I just saw that kid shove a Cheeto up his nose. And you tell him that? We just love to celebrate us. We just love to celebrate us. But here's the reality. You're limited. You're limited. I don't care how many steroids you shove into your body. You are not going to hit a baseball a mile. You're limited. You're limited. Every one of us. I don't care how big your brain is or how well you think it functions, we have a limited potential. I don't care how good of an athlete you might think you are, we have limited potential. And here's the crazy part of that. Most of us are unaware of that reality a lot. We are unaware of those limitations because everything in our culture speaks towards this idea of endless possibilities, untapped potential, that we just need to grasp the power that's within us. The biggest sections in all the bookstores are self-help books, fix me so I get better kind of books. But what we see present in Habakkuk is a real understanding of his limitations and his positioning. He knows that God controls it all and he appeals to that authority. He knows that he can't fix it the way that God can fix it. And I think this should be an example for all of us to point us to a reality where we begin to know our own limitations, that we would begin to know our own fallibility, and that we would just lift our lives and our concerns and our anguishes up to the Father, trusting Him, trusting in His authority, trusting in His goodness, as difficult and as painful as it might be in our lives, that we would trust in His resources in His way. David reminds us 
in a psalm, Psalm 39, he says, Behold, you made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind is, stands as mere breath. Your position before God is that of a mere breath. So understand your position and your limitations in that. Because owning your limitations does not make you weak. It actually makes you strong. Because it allows you the freedom to say, I don't have to solve this deal. I don't need to fix this. I can appeal to the authority of God whose resources are unlimited, inexhaustible, and everlasting. There's freedom that is found in that. And so whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in your marriage, whatever is going on in your addictions, whatever is going on in your relationships, whatever is churning within your soul, know that you are not the answer to that problem. You cannot fix that. You need to appeal to someone who transcends your weakness. And that is exactly who the God that Habakkuk approaches is. That is our God. And so don't exalt yourself in your knowledge. Don't exalt yourself in your capabilities. God has definitely gifted you with things, but those are his. He's gifted you with those things. Don't exalt yourself in those because you're limited in your capability and your knowledge, and our God is not. And so these are just some, I'm just thankful for Habakkuk, just some really beautiful truths here inside this, even just chapter one, just chock full of beautiful stuff to remind us of a God who responds both yes and no, um, but also remind us of a God um, that isn't limitless, that is a, a supreme authority, and we get to rest in that. And so Chad's going to come back next week and kind of dig deeper in this stuff, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so join us there. So let's pray, okay? God, we just come before you today, and that we just profess with our mouth the goodness uh, of you, uh, the common graces that you give us, Lord. Thank you for the prayers that you've answered, yes or no. And God, I just pray for, for those of us who we're walking into a no or you're remaining silent in those things, that you would give us the patience and the endurance to, to withstand those things, that we might get the knowledge and the wisdom to see how you might use those things to bring glory back to your name. So God, I pray that you bring comfort to people, but I also make you, uh, I pray that you would bring us into an awareness of our limitations, that we would appeal to a higher authority and feel the freedom that there is of realizing that this is not something I can solve or fix, but I will appeal to my God who can. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who has done for us what we could not. Amen.